Yeah, as uh, Tom said, my name's Owen, um, and uh, it's a real privilege to come and share God's word this morning with you. We're currently going through a series on disciples of Jesus being discipled uh, through our lives, and uh, Sai kicked us off by looking at how disciples of Jesus are surrendered to him, that he is our Lord and King, that we surrender all that we are to him. And then Dunk looked at being mature in Christ. Um, the, the Lord has given gifts and roles and that we're called to mature in Christ. Now I want to continue that this morning, looking at what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. But first, I just want to put up some names on the board or some, think, some words on the board. And I wonder if anyone could tell me what these are. We've got Hooverdroll, Klepstad, Narevik, Sol Klint. Anyone got any ideas? Okay, Scandinavian towns. Pretty close, actually. Ikea wardrobes. Hey, someone knows their Ikea wardrobes. <laughs> so yes, they are Ikea furniture things. So Klepstad is a wardrobe. Narverik is a Revik is a bedside table. Solklint is a lamp. And Hooverdroll is, of course, the meatballs. Um, which, of course, no Ikea trip would be complete without. In fact, it's... The main reason why most of us are dragged there um, with the promise of them. Don't worry, I'm not sponsored by IKEA. That's not what's happening this morning. However, if I was to give you this package, could you make what was in it? I've got some yeses, some noes, that's fine. Hands up if you think you could make what is in here. Amazing. Hands up if you have any training or experience in carpentry. Yeah, less. So what is it that means that it's not just these few selected people that can put up IKEA furniture? Instructions. We've been given everything that you need, and you've been given a manual. This is for the Billy bookcases. I'm sure many of you have had Billy bookcases, and it brings back PTSD when you think about putting them up. Well, this morning, I want to talk about how we have been given by God everything we need. And from Jesus, the word of God, who has come in flesh, leaving his Holy Spirit, God has given his people the written word, the Bible. We have been given all that we need to be disciples of Jesus, growing and developing and maturing in him. So that's what we're going to speak about today, that disciples of Jesus are built on his word, on scripture. Well, what do we mean by scripture? I want this morning to be really practical. We're going to look at what, does, what is scripture, why do we build our lives upon the word of God on scripture, and how? How do we do that? So firstly, what do we mean by scripture? Well, by the word of God or scripture, we mean the traditional canon, 66 books, uh, starting in Genesis and finishing with the final revelation in, well, you guessed it, Revelation, uh, with the final direct witness of the risen Jesus, the Apostle John. But we mean slightly more than that. We mean the story of a God who wants to meet and move through his creation. And we see throughout Scripture that he meets and moves with his people, calling them to him. After the fall, where they've walked away from him, he is calling his people back to him. And it culminates in Jesus, culminates in God not just meeting with his people, but coming down, living on earth in incarnation, standing on the very earth that he created, and then hanging on a Roman cross, 
and then rising again from an empty grave, leaving death in its wake as we have sung this morning. So, the Bible is the story of God and his people, but it's also more than that. A lot of liberal scholars will make you believe that actually, no, that's all it is. It's just a book, which is a nice story of, you know, a God and his people. But it is more than that. So let's look at 2 Timothy 3, and then it's 12 to 17, but I'm just going to pick out that verse. Uh, If you're in life groups this week, you're going to be focusing on this verse, the whole chunk of it. But in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is God-breathed. It comes from the mouth of God. And when we look in Matthew 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the Bible is a collection of 66 books. It is the story of a God who meets with his people and moves through his people but it is breathed out by God. And though it's written by human authors, the Holy Spirit inspired them. And so it is more, it dwells, it transforms, it moves us in a way that no other book ever can. You will find that there are many other, in inverted commas, holy texts. There are lots of other books, but there's only one book that will transform your life, that will shape your life, that will change who you are and mature you. And that is the Bible. And you might be saying, but you know, when when Jesus spoke, he only had the Old Testament. So when he says, you know, affirms what's been before, he speaks of the Old Testament. But we believe in the validity and authority of the New Testament. And it is supported by scripture. The apostles think so. Paul quotes the gospel of Luke in 1 Timothy 5.18. There were already gospels, words of the lives of Jesus being passed around at that time. Peter describes Paul's letters as scripture in 2 Peter 3.18. He uses a specific Greek word that's only used for canonical scripture. The early church fathers agree with this and consolidate the canon of scripture, making sure that nothing is added. It's not like Dan Brown would like us to believe that there were all these secret Gospels that got cut out. It's just not true. It's not what happened. These were godly, God-fearing men who went, this is what was accepted by those who spoke to us, and those were people who had met Jesus. That is what we mean when we say Scripture and the Word of God. I want to base my uh, sermon this morning on a passage in Matthew 7, so verses 24 to 27. So if you'd like to turn there with me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now most of you know all this story, will know this story, it's taught a lot um, and you know, a lot of you might have had a little song 
that went through it, which I'm sure you're all doing now. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Anyway, that's what I grew up with. But it's very clear from this passage that the wise build their lives on the word of God. And there are two reasons I want to look at today as to why we should. The word of God is what renews and transforms us. It teaches us to be more like Christ. And it's objective truth, sturdy through the storms. So firstly, the word of God is what renews and transforms us. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I heard it recently said that the the effectiveness of the word of God in transforming your life is up to you. The effectiveness of the word of God in transforming your life is up to you. Not its truthfulness or its ability to change your life, but its effectiveness. And I'll be honest, I I heard that and my reformed brain went, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Surely the Bible will change. But actually, the more that I thought about it, the more I see that that is true. We see it in the Joshua passage and in the Matthew passage. Joshua says, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. And then the verse in 24 says, in Matthew, sorry, says, everyone then who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man. It is essential that you meditate on the word of God, as Joshua says, and that you put it into practice. And it shapes how you live and the choices that you make. And I can definitely hold my hands up and say that the more that I live in the word, the more the word lives in me. And I'm sure that will be the truth for many of you in your walk of Jesus. You find that as you read the word and it lives in you, actually it changes the decisions you make. It, almost like Tom was saying with that stone, it softens, it smooths that stone that was once jagged. Me and Catherine have started doing a, a Bible in a year together. And we found that God really speaks through his word in a practical way. And it's really encouraged and challenged us, specifically with the passages we've read on that day. There have been so many times where we pray beforehand and then we open our Bible together and we go... He's done it again. He knows exactly what we're going through. And you know what? I'm not, you know, I'm not, you don't fall into the trap of saying, God made this Bible plan for me. That's not what happened. But God, when you open his word, he moves things in a way that means that he speaks to you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to grow closer to him. He wants the situations that you come across in your daily lives to be counteracted with scripture. Just as when Jesus was tempted in the desert, he backed all that he set up. His responses were scripture. He lived in the word, and God wants the same for us. It's God's word illuminated through the Holy Spirit that is going to bring transformation in your life. It is the key for a prosperous and successful life. 
by which I mean a life that sees the kingdom of God advance, the poor and the needy looked after and supported, the church grow and deepen in its love for God. This should be the heart of a disciple of Jesus because this is God's heart for his church. If you are passionate for God to move in your life and change circumstances, for your mind to be renewed and transformed, become more like Christ. The word is where you need to be. You need to be living in it, dwelling on it, meditating on it, not just reading on it and moving on. So the first is, the word of God is what renews and transforms us. Secondly, why do we look at it? It's because it is objective truth and it is sturdy through the storms. When we look at the parable of the wise man and the foolish man, that we see that the outside of their houses would have probably looked incredibly similar. Their materials were the same, their tools were the same, although I, I realise I said that and then I drew something where one was having a shovel and one was holding other tools, but they would have had the same tools. From a glance, the land that they looked at, that they built their houses on, may have looked incredibly similar as well. But one had dug further. He knows that his house underneath that sand has its foundations on the bedrock, whilst the foolish man did not dig deep. He did not know. And then when the storms come, and I don't know if anyone has seen a sandstorm. I, I haven't. I'll be honest, my, my main knowledge of sandstorms is uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> where uh, the woman goes, storm's coming, Annie, better get in quick. That's, that's kind of my experience. But what I see from footage of sandstorms is the sand is whipped around. Visibility is low. And in desert spaces, the sand shifts and runs like water. We're to expect that the surface level, the surface points of our lives will shift, whether it's culture or within the church. We see culture shifts all the time. The goalposts change constantly as to what is good or bad, acceptable or not, who is loved and who is not. I'm sure you see it time and time again in the news. Society is polarised. Culture shifts. What's acceptable? What's not? We see it within the church even. We see religious fashions change. Styles of worship, buildings, communities if we try and make any of these things our foundations, our houses, by which I mean our lives, will crumble and fall, it is the word of God that must be our bedrock. It is the objective truth that is our secure foundation. And that is specifically now in a world that tells us that there is no truth, where everyone has their truth, unless, of course, your truth is against mine, in which then, case you can't speak it. That's not truth, brothers and sisters. Truth does not shift. Truth does not bend with opinion. Always, we must return. Return to what Scripture says. And if we're doing something different to what Scripture says, then we must change, not our practices. Because the storms will come. And the Bible is clear that Time will show what is strong and bedrock and what is sand. Even if it is when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be incredibly clear what is strong and firm and what is sand. So let's be wise today. Let's build our lives upon the rock. 
upon Jesus Christ and his word. And if this morning you, it's the first time you've heard this, or maybe you've heard this a little while, and you've heard us singing to this God, and you go, actually, no, I realize that my life is shifting. What I stand on shifts all the time, and you want to stand upon something that is firm and solid will never change. Please come chat to us. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus. And if you say, actually, I'm ready, I'm ready to put all of those things aside, all those things that I was running for, whether it's cultural things or, or even church religious fashions, then please just pray this prayer with me. Lord God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are everlasting. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your son, Jesus, came and lived on this earth and died to take away my sins and then rose again, conquering death and sin. Lord, thank you that I can be adopted as your child. And Lord, right now, I want to lay aside all the sand and I want to plant my feet in you. Amen. If you prayed that, please come and grab me or one of the elders afterwards. We'd love to chat with you and tell you more. So, what is scripture? Why do we live, build our lives on scripture? How? How can I build my life on scripture? Firstly, godly habits. I think it is incredibly important, and take this as someone who has really struggled to do this and has had times where he has really put in godly habits in his life in terms of, you know, spending time with prayer, spending time with uh, the word, and times when he hasn't. And actually, I've really found over those times I know which ones I prefer. <laughs> Set aside time to be present in the word of God. Take time for God to speak to you through his word. Don't just rush through it and then go, oh, cool, tick, that's me done for the day. I'm a good Christian. That's not what God wants. He wants to speak to you through his word. And if you may be going sort of here saying, actually, I mean, I really struggle with reading. I really struggle with the Bible. I always have. Start with what you can handle, but always look to grow. I was speaking to someone uh, only a few weeks ago who I've known for many years um, and who loves God, but has really struggled with reading the word, with um, digging into that, just for the, the reading of it. And they were saying, actually, Owen, I've grasp something of the word and I found that the more that I read it the more I want to read it and I just think that's an amazing picture so you know take that there are people and I'm sure there's many people in this room who can say actually when I started reading the word I really struggled with it and I can say that's me as well but when I pursued and when I spent time God spoke to me and I now want to know more about Jesus and his word so if you're struggling please chat someone it's okay. We're family together. We want everyone to grow. Do it at a time when you're going to be able to concentrate. I'll be honest, me and Catherine do our Bible time before we go to bed. We're not get up early in the morning Christians. We're not. We just, we've tried it and we can't be. But we do it before we go to bed and then we let it meditate. And then in the morning, we might chat about it. But we could do it at that time because that's what works for us. That is okay. 
And if you're not sure where to start, if you're a non-Christian here this morning, Sai gave a great opportunity at the start of his first sermon. Start with the Gospel of Mark. If you're a non-Christian here this morning, start with the Gospel of Mark. And if you are a Christian this morning, and you are in a discipleship group, and you're saying, well, I'm not too sure where to start, you don't need to worry, because our discipleship program has it all sorted out. There are different phases with different um, bits over that time that you, you read together as a group, and if you don't have a, you're not in a discipleship group, chat to um, the elders, they'd love to put you in one. Um, if you don't have a booklet, this is the new fancy one, but um, the one that Sai made with uh, the paper copy is still good. Um, please do. I just want to encourage you with this. I really want to commend this to you. We have an eldership team who care deeply about your spiritual growth and have put together something that means that it's structured and community-focused. It's not just, oh, I will do my growing with Jesus on my own. It's we're meeting in groups. You talk through the word. You discuss it. You ask each other questions. That's how... Early church would have done it. Let's be early church together. So if you're not in a discipleship group, please, I just encourage you, please get in one and really take this seriously. But in each phase, there's Bible reading plans and then books that you can work through and discuss. So if you're not sure where to start, chat to your life group leader, chat to your, the person who's running your discipleship group. You know, because they've got the, the phases you're in have got specific ones. So I just really encourage you to do that. Translations, another great thing in terms of where we build our godly habits. This is just a very simple chart. We're really blessed with many translations who are done by faithful groups of translators. And it goes from word for word. Um, I've got, you know, the original languages sit at the the left-hand side all the way to sort of paraphrases. It's okay what you read in the sense of if it is a good translation that is faithful, that has been put together by a group who have debated and, and, and spoken through and have knowledge of original languages, that's okay. Whether you read NLT, NIV, ESV, whatever it is, it's okay. But let's be in the word. And actually it's okay to read a number. Let's not get, you know, I know I can do this. You know, someone reads from a Bible and I go, oh, but what does the ESV think? Because that's what I read. No, let's read multiple versions because actually there's something really beautiful about the word of God. It was given in languages that can be translated. It was given in languages that were meant to be read and spoken. It's very different to the Quran in that way because it's not just, you know, the Quran is in Arabic and you have an have interpretation of the Quran in, in English or any other language, but it's not the same. The Bible isn't like that. God gave it in Hebrew and then he gave it in Greek, which would have been the most spoken language. He didn't even give it in Arabic. He gave it in Greek so that it could be passed on and passed throughout the whole Roman world. So let's not get bogged down with translation. Let's Use translation. And then, how can we build my life on the How can I build my life on the word? Reading the Bible fully. Not just looking at it, but reading it, understanding it. We need to know that 
when we read the Bible, the Bible was written in a different language. It was a different world, almost. We aren't the primary audience. And then there's us in 21st century UK. So you've got the world of the Bible, and you've got the world now. So to understand that, we must be interpreting Scripture correctly. I just want to go through three very just brief, quick things about that, little points. And those are meaning, uh, context, and the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So let's just go through those quickly. Meaning. Authorial intention. Sounds like a big word. Basically, it just means that the people who wrote the Bible weren't reading it, weren't writing it and going, oh, I'm going to write this, and then in 2,000 years' time, Tom Simmons is going to read, write, read it. They wrote it to a specific community, a desire to communicate to an initial audience in a particular context. And to ignore this means that we might ignore the meaning of the text. And if we ignore the meaning, then we're likely to misunderstand it. So let's remember that actually the Bible has a foundation in the time that it's in. Genre and meaning of individual parts is the bit that I'm reading poetic or narrative or a letter or apocalyptic. It all makes different, a different reading. And then within that, what about the specific passage that I'm reading? For example, uh, the, the bit that I read earlier in Matthew was from uh, a first century, basically, biography of a certain style. That's what a gospel is. But when I read that specific Matthew passage, it came when Jesus is using a parable. So through the genre of the book, which is narrative, we then scope in, and it has a parable. Now, a parable is a story that is meant to tell us a deeper truth, and that's what we read it for. However, if we read the whole of the gospel like that, we'd hear Jesus walked into a town, and we'd go, oh, what's the deeper meaning truth that we could get from it? Well, there isn't any, really. Jesus just walked into a town. So when we're reading the Bible, let's be clear on the meaning of what the passages say. Context. The Bible isn't a collection of sound bites or good-feeling statements. There are surrounding sentences. There is a narrative. There's a flow. So when we read specific parts of Scripture, we need to read around that. For example, if I read my, the bit earlier from Matthew 7, I said, be like a wise man who built, his house, who built his house on the rock. Tom, what do you think you should get from that? If I literally just say, be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Uh, I have to build my house on a rock. Yeah, yeah. You better be, you better be good when you're building houses because that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be a good house builder who builds his house on a rock. Well, no, we read around that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then context is more than just surrounding sentences. What's happening in the chapter? What else happens in that section of the book or the whole book? What is this writing like in comparison to other writings from the author? You know, Paul often writes a certain way. And then where does this fall in the context of the whole of Scripture? I know time and time again I've heard um, sort of chatting with people or heard sermons where they sort of bring out a very one line of Scripture 
and make a point that actually doesn't really fit with the whole narrative of Scripture, of what God means for his whole story with him and his people. So let's bear that in mind. And then finally, the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates. So we should always be praying when we're reading the Bible. Holy Spirit, what, what are you pulling out today? What do you want me to focus in on? Illumination means it helps bring understanding, brings conviction, and helps with personal application. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the original meaning and context, but will complement it. The Bible isn't sort of there and then there's a hidden meaning that actually God wants one person to get with a magnifying glass. That's, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. However, the Holy Spirit works in a way that when we read Scripture, we understand the truths in a way that means that they sit not only in our heads but our hearts so that we know it fully. And that's why you can have atheist biblical scholars who know loads about genre and meaning and all those different things I've spoken about beforehand. But for them, the Bible is just a book. When you can have the newest believer who has no understanding of any of that, but can understand the beauty of Scripture and take something from it that digs deep into their hearts and changes them, understanding the love of God, understanding the joy of salvation, the Holy Spirit does that. So when we're reading the word and we're grounded in it, let's take it seriously. Let's look at the meaning, the context. Let's read around. And then let's ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want us to learn? So to sum up, the word of God is fundamental to our daily lives. It's given to us through the illumination of the Holy Spirit so that we have all that we need to become more and more like Christ. Let's seek to ground ourselves on the truth. And let's be voracious seekers of the word of God. Let's really grab hold of all that he has for us. Let me pray. Oh, actually, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Sorry. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us all that we need to grow and develop as children of you. Thank you that we are disciples, by which we mean we follow you. We follow your teaching, we follow your truths, and we want them for ourselves. And Lord, thank you through your Holy Spirit, we can understand those and know them. And they are true in our spirit, not just in our head. I pray that over this next season, we would be disciples who dig deep into your word, into what they mean for our lives. Lord, come and change us. Make us more like Christ. Amen. Amen. Chris asked, is there any sort of response that you want to come from this? I said, actually, I, not specifically, but the one thing I think should always come from reading Scripture is we should always worship. It should always lead us to worship God more, to glorify him more. So that's what we're going to do now. We're just going to worship and glorify our King Jesus.